Coachella, my question for you today is what was a time that you can remember that a kid wrote something? It doesn't have to be this year, just at some point in time. And it doesn't even have to be a specific story, okay? Just a time, like, what is it like when a, a, a student writes something that they are genuinely proud of? What is that that experience like? And how do you know a kid, it's, you know, it's kind of like the writer breakthrough moment of a kid having this in the classroom and they maybe, maybe they call you over to share something or they, they hand it to you or something like that. What, what is that like? Could you describe that? Cause maybe some teachers who are new to workshop or maybe afraid of workshop or whatever, listening to this, they, they haven't had a student have experience. Maybe they even haven't had an experience like that themselves. So what is that? What is that experience like to you? How would you describe that for the people listening? Well, a lot of them have come to my mind all of a sudden. I just had one just this last week. And this kid who is, well, let's just put it to you this way. We've had to have, I've had to have help with him because of his behavior, right? Because, well, you know, he's not always the nicest kid. I mean, I think he's got potential, but he needs some extra help. And the other day he was walking down the hallway and he goes, guess what, Miss Ochoa, I finished my history paper and she liked it, you know? So, I mean, that was just the mere fact that he wanted to share that with me and he was excited. And then ever since that moment, he just his whole last week, his whole demeanor towards me has even changed. So it was kind of neat. Um, but some other ones that come to my mind was I had a, a young man, gosh, probably about 15, 16 years ago but he wrote a poem and he got it published and they published it and uh, he was extremely excited about that you know and so it was just kind of neat and I, I don't know if I you know I lost contact with them but there have been times where I've had students come back and they've actually have written I don't know if I know anybody who's famous that's written but um but it's really kind of neat. And I had one, uh, we went on, we, last year we went on break and then we never came back because of COVID, right? So I, my phone rings, my actual phone rings, and it is this kid. And he's moving out of, you know, out of our area, like he won't be back. And his whole purpose was my mom, had, I've been right, my mom writes, and you've taught me how to write. And this one paper that I think you still have, I'd like to have it back because I think it was the best paper that I had ever written. And it just happened that I didn't get things back to them because COVID happened. And uh, so anyway, I had to get his paper back to him. And he was, he was like, my mom and I are now writing because, you know, so it's just kind of neat when they, when they get all excited, but, but they'll, they'll want to come and share with you. And then it's at that moment where you go, oh, I think I can do this. I think I can do it again and again. And it's just really exciting. It's um, just that light bulb that goes off. And that's really one of the reasons why I like to teach. Remind me to come back to that because I have a story to add to that. But I want to intro the show first, ladies and gentlemen. You know, okay. I don't even know why we... This is uh, Pam Cho and Jacob Chastain. This is the Craft and Draft podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about right, reading and writing workshop in real classrooms, specifically real Texas classrooms, uh, public school and all, the high stakes testing and all, and really just about our love of reading and writing, teaching it, and 
talking about this kind of through the lens of our craft and draft system that we've developed, and we are working hard to get out to you guys, but we've talked about it so much in episodes that if you want to kind of figure it out, you can jump into those. But in this episode, we're talking about the rider diet. How do we keep riders going? What do we do to keep feeding what riders need in order to kind of keep them going? It's a delicate process because even though kids have success and they 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 lead the charge and have a moment where they're super excited the next day they might be dead on the inside and not want to write a single word so it's definitely a challenge we're going to talk about all that today on the craft and draft podcast all right going back to circle to your thing so here's something that i think is i I didn't even plan to talk about this today but i think it's interesting to bring up, which is I am the department chair on my campus. I have a brand new teacher who it was so funny. She said when she got hired, all the jobs that she had went for were not English every single time, but every job she got offered was an English position. Isn't that weird? No, no, that's pretty much how <laughs> I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach uh, history when I first started. I have a history major and a geography certification and an English certification. I got English, so I'd always have a job. Anyway, I fell in love with it though, but I didn't start out that way. That's so funny. You know, we, you know, you just gave me a good idea for a, I mean, I guess we could talk about it on craft. You just gave me a good idea for a teacher me teacher episode about how states are kind of in like the, the push from like the federal government stuff kind of downplay social studies and history, which I think is Mm -hmm. vitally important to, curriculum is studying history and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to remember that. But, uh, so this teacher gets hired. Uh, she's phenomenal. She's one of those, you know, we've all seen new teachers. We've all been new teachers. Uh, some of them are naturals and some of us grow over time and some of us don't have a knack and we end up leaving me. I was someone who grew. I was not, I don't think I was a natural teacher. I think I was a natural. I think I connected to kids naturally, but I was not a natural educator. Um, this girl on the other hand is the opposite, right? She is, she's someone who's, who is a natural, her only limitation is just, just the, you know, you don't know what you don't know in teaching, right? It's a, it's a Mm -hmm. crazy profession that you kind of have to learn trial by fire and hopefully you have good mentors and a good staff to kind of support you. So her, her, uh, she felt more natural on the reading side and she teaches sixth grade. For those of you who don't know in Texas, sixth grade, there is no writing test. So writing tends to not be the purpose of, uh, of curriculum, even though it is reading and writing still, um, regardless. So she felt more comfortable in reading. So her writing gains have been less so, but I've been pushing her, right? I'm the department chair and I let y'all know I love writing that the podcast where we talk about writing, I talk of the most and the most fast. So we, uh, working with her and getting her to, to experiment more and let kids ride and letting kids, you know, just explore words and stuff. And she, she's been doing it more and more over time. But the other day she came to me and she said, you know what, Chastain, our time in class was actually horrible today. But the writing was so great. So the the portion where she actually let kids write, because her mini lesson was designed just as kind of like a, almost like a quick write, free write type of thing, right? It was more of, mm-hmm. she didn't really prompt them. It was more of like uh, an idea generator-ish and then let kids just go. And she said mm-hmm. she had she had never felt more 
uh, alive in her writing portion of the class because kids were writing amazing things and they were just wanting to, you know, every second they're raising their hand and wanting to share what they were writing and just excited about stories and whatever else they were doing. And I looked at her and I was like, you're not going to believe me, but give yourself a year, two years, three years. There's going to be a time when your writing workshop does that more often than not. Maybe not every day because we don't live in a utopia, but for most days of the week, you'd be shocked at what happens when kids are freely writing what they want. And you're, and as an educator, you're able to drive them into different genres and different perspectives and different things. And then all of a sudden it's not three kids raising their hands. It's all 25 raising their hands and they're all writing something different. And there's a bunch of different genres going on. And by the end of it, you're exhausted, but you're in, you're enlivened with the energy of creation in a writing workshop. But I don't know. You're that's what, that that's what made me think of this is just this whole idea of, I don't know, man, there's a, there's a magical, it's like, it's the same moment I would argue of, you know, when a kid, when you finally get that kid that finishes a book and they come to you and you're like, I love this book. And then they go, I want one exactly like this. And you're like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> My student finishes a book, uh, you know, once the direct, I, I had a kid say that to me today. She, so this kid who she's dyslexic, she's reading, uh, she, she finished her first book ever last year. I've kept her in my honors classroom, uh, even though her mom wanted her out. And I was like, absolutely not. She's staying here. She is not going to, uh, do, she's not going to be in different classrooms just because of her dyslexia. She can do it. She's just never had a teacher like me who will hound her and keep her honest with everything that she's doing and reading and writing. And so she finished maybe, uh, like a, like two books last year in all honesty, uh, this year, um, she's about to finish her fifth one and she was closing it out and she goes, Chastain, I'm about 20 pages away. So I need you looking for a book. I need, I need you on it. Like, she, <laughs> you know, and I, the whole, we'll, we'll look together. Cause I try not to make them too dependent on me, but it's so funny. Like these kids who it's a delicate process, like in reading and writing it's, they, they have success, but then it's almost like they don't believe they can have it again. Well, it, that's true. And I think part of it is it's it's such a personal choice what you read and what you write. So it's it's almost like getting your hair cut, right? And then you go to school and somebody says something and then you put your hood up or you don't want to go back to school. Even if it was a nice thing they said, you just you really don't want them to notice it. So sometimes I think it's a personal choice. And it's so personal that students are very hypersensitive about how it's received. I think I am too, actually, to be honest. It'll cause me to hesitate, as you know. Yeah. Well, and so looking at this from the writing side, and you know, we'll probably vacillate back and forth between reading and writing, as we do, but I find that my students, a lot of them come to me. And you know what was so funny? So I was talking to Reggie Routman recently. Uh, we had a long mm-hmm. conversation on the phone. I told you about this off air. But we, we had a long conversation. And she was talking about how in my upcoming book, Rightfully Empowered, I talked about how kids come to middle school often hating writing. 
And she she actually pushed back on that. She was like, I don't know. Elementary seems to be where they like writing because it's creative and it's fun and stuff like that. And I, I was like, yeah, I guess. I was like, I there's differences in student success, though. Because what – maybe this is a Texas problem, too, right? Because I'm not familiar with every standard. I'm not really sure how Common Core shakes out with – uh, standardized testing because here we test kids in the fourth grade in writing. Then we test them in the seventh grade. This is changing, but right fourth, seventh, and then they have some stuff in high school. But usually what happens is kids have a, it, it, most teachers, you know, give kids a healthy diet of reading and in our district specifically, they, they really get book choice and they have book clubs and they do all that. They don't really learn writing officially until the fourth grade. And even then it's the you know, it's the one page essay, it's the four paragraph, five paragraph essay that they plan. So when they come to sixth grade in middle school, that's like all they have, right? And they have the hook. They say, have you ever had a bad day? Let me tell you about how to overcome that, right? <laughs> like, and we, we inherit these kids who own that essay, right? They do it so well. And it's like, there's really, I mean, it's structurally good. The transitions are good. The language is decent. Then you have your kids who hated that, so they they never really learned it. They write in one paragraph, oftentimes one sentence for a page. Um, and, and our job becomes giving them experiences that, you know, hey, you can – you don't – what's this page business? You can write something short. Like I've – I developed a term for this, and I don't know if it is actually used, but I call it microprose. Which is this idea that like of writing like prose, it could be it could be fiction based, but it could also be like reflection. Like you're like let's say you're describing a scene and like you're you're the worst moment of your life. Like you re, like you had it yesterday and you want to describe it. And I'm working with the student. I'm like, hey, what, just like let's create this scene. Let's write this out. Like I consider that like it's like a micro prose to where it's like a paragraph can be a piece. And I found that the the more I let kids do that and not focus so much on length but on what needs to happen in a piece, it starts building their confidence. But do you do, – have you seen that in your own work of giving kids options to write shorter things to have more success? Well, sometimes what I do is I'll use shorter things to get them to create bigger things. So we'll do short bursts of writing and then we'll figure out a way to put it together which is kind of a neat way of doing it. That's usually how I tackle analysis type papers and things like that. We'll just write short bursts of stuff and then we'll figure out a way to put it together. So yeah, I do that. And then, but that's not quite what you're talking about, but um, yeah, I mean, that's what flash fiction and all that is, is just, you know, little vignettes and things like that are mere smaller. So yeah, I think I think sometimes just getting them to get that sentence on the page. That's what that's what I tell them. If you'll just put something on the page, I don't care what it is, we can work with it. But I can't work with a blank page. I can't because I can't help you. I don't I can't see your thinking on a blank page. So I don't care what you put down, just get me something. And then I never tell them the amount. I don't tell them the amount. Now I think what you're talking about is you give them that, you know, you allow them for the short one, which is fine. But a lot of times if I want them to develop fluency and volume, then I tell them to write until I say stop. So if they write five mini, what did you call it again? 
Microprose. Yeah, microprose. So if they write five microproses, <laughs> for the sake of I don't really know how to say that. <laughs> but if they do like three or four of them in that time period, I mean, like they can't think of anything else, but they could think of another one and another one. The whole idea is to build up um, fluency, volume, and stamina. And you have to give them that kind of practice lots of times. So I'd say whatever it takes, but they have to have something on the paper. And I like to kind of change it up. You know, changing it up is the brain loves novelty. So you can, I mean, there's some things that we've done where you write and um, like with the, with your pen without, you know, with the lid on it where you write the indention and then you take your pencil and then you shade it in and then they get to see what they write. We used to do that actually with carbon paper. It was really cool. So you have, so kids, hang on. I want to dive into this, the kids kind of marking with the caps on. So this would be like, it's almost like scratching. Like, so what's the thinking behind this? Cause that's a really interesting strategy that I'm not a hundred percent against. Like I really like this, but I want to get some background on what on earth, like where did this come from? What's, what's the thinking behind it? Well, I think, I think the thinking behind it is, you know, you get hung up when you're reading your words. So the whole idea here is to create fluency. This one's for fluency. So what you want them to do is just write and not worry about what is said. In other words, you don't go back and correct it. You don't go back and dot your eye. You don't, you just, if you miss it, you miss it. You can't tell you missed it. So what does it matter? And then you just keep writing. And the whole idea is to get as many thoughts down as possible. And then you just encourage the kids that it's just for fun. And uh, let's see what you ended up writing. And then, because it's the whole premise is you don't know what you think until you see what you say. And so then they go back and Anyway, you try to, we used to really, it works really better with carbon paper. And you can do that if you had carbon paper. But, you know, all that stuff is getting to be obsolete these days. But um, but I think if you get, you can do it, like if they, they have to have several sheets of paper and then mash hard, kind of like the old spies, you know, where they try to read the code. So now the idea is to read the code. So that's kind of fun. Another thing to do is we like to draw with their undominant hand and then they write about their drawing. I've done that with, I've done that with procedural to where I'll tell them to just draw something random. And then Mm -hmm. after they do that, go back and try to describe how to draw what they drew. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) I actually got that from one of my co-partners or back in the day. She used to be my partner, but she, uh, it was, it was a great idea. That was a cool lesson. Yeah. I think we got that book from draw, uh, got that from the book drawing into meaning and right now I cannot tell you I almost want to say Rico or Romer I don't know who I, I can't remember who wrote it that was such a long time ago so I, I don't want to completely derail where we're mm-hmm. at right now but I have a question so you I don't know if we ever uh talked about this before but so like when COVID kind of hit and everyone was quarantined everyone's trying to figure out what on earth to do with their lives Penny Kendall and Kelly Gallagher were doing like these live meets where they would just talk to each other like every day for like a month. And there wow. were so much like little nuggets, like, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like little excerpts of them just talking to each other. It was really fascinating. They're doing it again uh, recently. Um, and they revealed that, you know, they're publishing a new book, which is exciting. There's no title or anything yet. So people looking for that. 
they haven't released it, but they brought on uh, Tom Newkirk recently. Oh, who, Mr. Essay. Yeah. And he wrote the Essay Manifesto and a bunch of right. other books. But he, you know, he's really fascinating. But he has a new book that just came out called uh well actually I don't I don't have it at the top of my head, but it's it's basically about like writing fiction. You know, he wanted to investigate because he had never really written fiction, and he says on their episode like he he wasn't a fiction writer, so he went to the experts. So he went to kids who were writing basically fiction in classrooms and he was investigating like why he was like the majority of books that we read throughout school are fiction yet the percentage of fiction writing that's happening in the classroom is extremely low across the board and he was like he he kind of gave a, a small caveat you know maybe except for like elementary school but once you hit middle and high school there's no fiction happening Unless it's it's like segregated to like the like you know free to free writing or whatever, and he kind of wanted to investigate why and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting premise, but I, I thought that was really fascinating about like this. You know, we talk about like the diet of readers, and we're so comfortable with giving kids. You know, people who are on board already to independent reading. We love giving kids fiction and we love giving kids comics and graphic novels and books that really relate to them. But we hardly ever really give freedom in this writing to include fiction writing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, even in my own work, like so many of my kids, you know, if you walk into my room, you see all their pieces kind of published on the wall. You see tons of poetry, and more often than not, when someone comes in that doesn't know me, they go, why are your kids writing so much poetry? And my answer is, why not? <laughs> like, it's <laughs> been, you know, and I can, I can justify it, and I have an answer for that question, but I was, I was curious. I thought it, it fit well with this conversation of, you know, what's your – do you think that there is a place for fiction writing in secondary education? Well, actually, when in the 90s, uh, we started with personal narrative in the ninth grade, and we went straight to story after that, and the kids would write a story. We actually wrote um, a story where I would give, I think I went, this an, an activity just came into my head, and I went, there were these cute cards, uh, and they kind of told a story, you know how some, it's just somebody drew all these cards, so I cut them up so that only the pictures showed. And then I gave each group a card and then they had to put together the story. And so we actually wrote a a whole class piece that way. Uh, We used to always begin with story and then we would use, then that's what we would do. We would do short stories and personal narratives as our text. And it pretty much was thematic when I first in the nineties when I taught and I felt like it flowed then a lot easier than it does now. And then after that, we would just kind of move into different things. But I think always coming back to story, the brain, I think we've already mentioned this before, crave story. I think uh, to get a writer to start writing, they have to write what they know and what they know most is their own life way more than they know anything else. And then they know the stories that they've read. And they, when they sit around the table or they talk to their friends, they're telling stories. They're telling little personal vignettes and little personal narratives. So why not start there and then figure out what it is that they think? What do they have an opinion about? You build their confidence with their own stories. 
And now you find topics within those stories. Now you use those topics within those stories. And now we start investigating themes. And then I think you can move into nonfiction that way. And that's how I used to do it. Well, and I actually, as you were talking there, I I love this idea of, because you can broaden this, right? Like I think... Mm -hmm. Uh, we can, we can talk about this in a narrow sense of like, oh, fiction, you know, dialogue and stuff like that. But I would argue that the majority of pieces that my students write are stories, you know, they're, they're personal narratives, they're stories about their lives, they're stories about their feelings, their journeys from one emotion to the next. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Kelly Gallagher was the first one who said this. And I think honestly, he borrowed it from Tom Newkirk, if I remember correctly, but um, it's the idea that if you, you know, we want to, when, when we think model text, you know, we, uh, in like the literature and groups that we listen to, they say, you know, if, if you want kids writing a specific genre, they should read that genre. And I agree with that, but there's crossover, there's genres that mm-hmm. lend themselves. It's not a. And Tom said this on the episode where he was talking to Penny and Kittle, which I Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher, which I totally uh, recommend everyone to go watch. But he talks about how genres are good in their own right, but they intersect. And where Kelly talked about how you know if you want to write a good argument, you have to understand how story works, right? Because you're talking from two different point of views. You're talking from you know the the reason conflict exists in narratives is because two people oppose each other for some reason right someone isn't getting right. what they need someone isn't getting what they want they desire something and is out of reach that is the element of arguments um in yep. writing persuasive essays because when you write when you talk about uh you can't there's a reason why the news even though people hate the news by and large in a lot of places there's a reason they tell stories though and it's not because like and not just facts it's because stories uh encapsulate stories bring you in stories make something that might seem irrelevant uh with if they just gave you the facts or something but then now it relates you know a story if you just gave uh, you know, and this is this is used for persuasion too, right? If you watch any type of political debate, they all, you know, if it's a really hard subject like gun control, abortion, or any of those hot burden issues, they try all the politicians they they manipulate it into a story to try to get as many people to agree with them as possible, right? And that's a that's right. a skill set, uh, it, just in life. But it's it's interesting that. We almost ignore that in our writing curriculum, right? We make writing curriculum so much about compound sentences, complex sentences, um, adjectives, uh, you know, all all the rules of grammar and stuff, which have their place. But we don't really talk about okay. So what is the narrative drive? You know, we we don't even like even in our standards. And I might be mistaken, and I hope I'm not because I help write part of the curriculum of our district. But even on the writing side, there's really no focus of there's kind of a focus of central topic, but there's really no focus of uh, of of like a narrative drive in all of these places. And I think it really underlines all of this. You know, the reason why we read and connect to a news article is because it's like, oh man, like they, they set the problem up and, you know, we talk about text structures and stuff like that, but we never dive into what is this saying? What is the story being told with this information? And I think 
I don't know. I listening to Newkirk and Penny Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher talk about it. I was like, yes, like this is this is what is missing. And so and even in my classroom, like I don't think I do enough of that. I don't well, I don't know, but as far as whether you do enough or not or not, I mean I'm not Oh, you there. do. You know. <laughs> no, I, I I start with story. I think that's where sometimes people don't get me sometimes because I want to stay longer on the story than perhaps the curriculum intends because it works. It just works. Uh, Janet Emick, who wrote uh, the composing process of 12th graders for one of her uh, studies of writing, uh, indicated that what she discovered is exactly what you're talking about. And that is when kids begin to write, they write from within. They write about their own lives first. They write for their own selves. Most of our writing that we begin with is for us. It's not for other people. When we write to express our feelings, we write to um, create lists of things we have to do. We write um, to let somebody know that that we love them. We write to let them know we don't love them. We you know, there's all different kinds of reasons why we write. And then what we have to do as teachers is to help you start there, okay, and then pull them to the extensive side where they're actually writing for the world. They're writing to speak to the world. They're writing to inform the world. They're writing, you know, for those things. But even when they're doing that, I think where we fall short as teachers, and I don't know when I say we fall short, I, I mean, maybe somebody's out there doing it perfect. Yeah, but it's just, a collective. It's a collective. You know, I'm just talking about a collective thing. But anyway, but where I think we fall short sometimes is we we try to pull their voice in their writing away from them too early. And I think we do that because you're talking about that. We don't do the story. We don't allow them to write that poetry. We don't allow them. We're, we're, we want that informational piece because that is what we're being tested on. We want that argumentative piece because that's what we're being tested on. And we just skip over the building blocks. And I think stories, the building blocks, I think fairy tales in reading is one of the, is one of the building blocks of, of reading because that is, good versus evil. It's easy, you know. So I just think there's certain building blocks that we want to skip over either because we don't understand how it works, we haven't had enough experience how it works, or we're pushed because of the curriculum or due to testing. So there you go. I I mean, I I think that, so if we're talking, you know, about giving kids what they need in terms of keeping them going, honestly, like it's, so much is about talking to them and knowing who they are and knowing how they tick. So in one class, I have uh, one of my star poets who she's she's phenomenal. She writes so many pieces and some of them are so good. Um, I, a lot of them are very good, but they she she's a very personal writer. And then what's funny is I've this one group in my classroom – I don't even know how it happened, but they started generating all of these really unique ideas. I think what happened is they started becoming friends and they connected that they're all kind of dorks and they love fantasy and they love anime and they love all this stuff. And so they started creating like each of them is creating like their own fantasy world. So they have these huge. And then so what happened is I'm like, I would love 
to publish a fantasy novel one day. So this was like, I was so happy when they started talking about this. So I was like, guys, I'm going to give you all some tea. Okay. And so we started talking about, I showed them Brandon Sanderson. So Brandon Sanderson is an author. He took over the Wheel of Time series because Robert Jordan died. He finished it and then that launched his career. He's written uh, so many books for kids and adults. He's a huge fantasy writer. He's also a teacher. He has uh, tons of lectures that he just posts like on YouTube that you can watch where he talks about like the nuts and bolts of like writing epic fantasy. Like it's free lessons that anyone can go watch. And so I told them they were like wanting to write fantasy. And I was like, hey, check this, check these videos out. And I gave them that freedom during my workshop to like check out, just watch him and learn. And one thing that Brandon Sanderson uh he pushes is world building, creating a world that's believable, creating a magic system in fantasy that you know is is grounded in realism not realism, but you can believe. Like the rules of the magic system exist. It's not, you know, Gandalf. Yeah, it's not Gandalf to where he can just do magic. You know, there is he, Brandon Sanderson argues that, you know, in fantasy you can have your you can have your whimsical magic. But what wins over a lot of people is having a magic system that's clever because that can play into the plot and do a bunch of other stuff. So if you set rules and then you can write clever ways to get by those rules, then your 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 audience will be appreciative. Anyway, so I was telling my kids this. And so they're creating these really deep magic systems and characters and they're they're playing with uh, – they're playing with plot and they're they're creating like these really – in-depth like characters. And I was telling one of my students, she goes, Chastain, if you could have, if you wanted a character in any race, like, like a, like a fantasy race, what would you choose? And I said, you know what? Something that I've always thought would be hilarious would be like, you know, elves, you talk about elves in Lord of the Rings and stuff. Elves are like the, the high race, you know, they're the, they're the ancient race. They've been around a long time. They, they, they have all the knowledge of the world. I was like, I think it'd be hilarious to have an elf that was addicted to social media. Like they were addicted to taking selfies of themselves. And so the student ran with it and had all this. So having these conversations though, like we could easily go, okay, well this has nothing to do with curriculum because it really doesn't, (laughs) but, but it does in, in subtle ways. And I think this is the heart of, Teachers who want to teach an authentic writing workshop and and really let kids flow and let kids grow and let kids explore, you have to find ways around your limitations, right? And I think yeah, we've said this a hundred times on the podcast. You're like the queen of getting around your limitations because you've you've been, you've taught in so many different situations that some of your situations have left you have freedom and some of them haven't, but you've always kept this authentic love for reading and writing. And I think that is, Mm -hmm. I think that that's a part of this job. And some of us are more fortunate. Like I'm very fortunate to be in a place where I don't have to be looking over my shoulder when I have a conversation with my students about, you know, fantasy races and stuff like that. But some people are. So I think, uh, it comes down to, okay, so how does this fit? Well, you start thinking about it. I mean, one volume is obvious is an obvious answer. You're going to tell me kids aren't learning anything by creating dynamic characters in fiction, learning how to write compelling dialogue, writing compelling dialogue in fiction will directly translate to using proper quotes that are compelling in an argumentative essay or an informational essay, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to pick out what's most important that someone said in an interview to be able to critique it. Those that's a life skill and it can directly, Directly connect to 
writing fiction and and doing that. It might not seem like it, but this is when we like we have to have a deeper relationship with reading and writing and be able to realize that there's writing in all of its forms helps other writing. You know, I was my my friends who I have a close group of friends who, you know, we all are aspiring writers. Um I'm a little bit farther along than a lot of them just because of my circumstances, but you know, I let them read. Like I have one friend who is a fantastic writer, but he reads all of my writing and he reading my second book, he goes, man, you have grown. Cause he's, I mean, he's read me from like way back in the day. Like what? Yeah. Like when I was just like a kid writing, you know, bad fiction and, and then he read teach me teacher, uh, which he liked and he helped me polish, but he read the new book and he goes, he, he was, he was, he was like, dude, you've grown, you've, you've grown so much. And it was, but that's, I've written so many things to get to that point. Right. And I'm still like, you know, I'm sure, you know, 10 years down the line, I'll look at this book and go, Oh my God, like I wouldn't have ever phrased it that way in this way. But that's, we have to think about with our kids is that the same way they need a diverse reading life. They need a writing life that really lets them explore because it really does all support each other. But I, I find that that's hard to get some people to accept because, you know, you have the pressures of curriculum and testing and that's real. Right. And so that's where you as a teacher have to trust the writing. You have to trust that process and that it's going to work. You can't, you just have to trust it. And I don't know any other way to say it, but, but without, without the volume, without all of that writing that you're allowing them to do. And you, if you only kept it to compulsory stuff, right then the students, first of all, will get bored. They'll start writing mundane things. They'll be repetitive. They won't have a voice. And you'll be bored as a teacher because they're going to be writing the same thing over and over, like what you talked about at the beginning. Have you ever done this? Well, I have. Let me tell you about it today. You know, and you're like, okay, well, let's just get rid of that whole first sentence. You know, listen, but but they have to also be able to, you know, write into those leads. And then through revision, you show them how, which one's stronger and which one's, you know, which ones you want to keep. Oh my God, my cat. For people to look, edit this. I, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to leave that because people don't realize <laughs> you guys wouldn't believe the trouble that we've gone through for this episode. <laughs> It is, you know, it is what it is. There's some kind of insect that's flying around, and she decided yeah, that she was going to catch it. Yeah, she is jumping up and down. Have you seen that commercial where that cat's jumping really high for that, you know, that guy's yeah, yeah, yeah. snacks off? Now that is what my cat is doing. <laughs> so she she almost fell, and I just thought it was funny. Sorry. <laughs> so, oh, my, let, let's. You know, it's it's probably best for both of us to kind of find a closing point on this one. So what if we're thinking about what kids need to kind of keep going, you know, they're, they're publishing. And yeah. I talk about we've talked about the workshop lull before, you know, it, your kids kind of, you know, there comes a closing point. You know, for me, mine is always at the end of a six weeks, you know, kids that are ahead have already published a lot but the majority of them you know they they wait till the final deadline and they kind of publish and and get it going that way and then we have to kind of kick back and start it up again or a break happens or a, a snowstorm happens and you bring kids back 
and you they don't have that momentum anymore. The the one thing that my kids kept saying after spring break was, Chastain, I just lost all momentum. And I was like, oh, it's okay. We're going to get back. We're going to get back. And I just, I feel like that's the struggle of this writing workshop thing because it becomes so, people who have not lived through that doubt the process. Kids come back mm-hmm. and they, they get motivated and teachers are fired up and like, oh my God, I've never experienced like anything before in my life. And then kids stop writing and writing dwindles and you go to conferences and you're like, there's nothing happening. And it's, it's kids are <laughs> stalled and distractions happen and, and problems are going on. And so as a final piece of advice, you know, what, 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 if we're going to say, what do writers need to keep going? If you could pinpoint one thing, a handful of things, what are the things that they need to keep up their motivation over time? Well, they need, um, they need a safe place to explore and to be accepted and they need a community. And you've already mentioned on some of that, where those girls are riding together, they've, they've kind of got their own little club, so to speak. So they need a place where they have community. They need they need to be heard. They need to, you know, they need a place to share their writing. Uh, and, and that's where the safety comes in. And they need novelty. And they need, when they get stuck, as we've said earlier, uh, maybe they need some strategies to help them get going again. Um, they need to be encouraged, I think, to look around their world with, as my friend Angie Husbandette would say, writerly eyes. That's her comment. And she would just say her little fourth grader, she teaches them to look at the world with writerly eyes and collect dialogue, collect words and collect ideas and to collect pictures and then have all kinds of stuff that you you can write about when you do get stuck. So there's probably more to it than that. But I do like your idea of story. And I I did enjoy beginning with story way back when. And I wish we would go back to that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you go back to that at the end of this and bring some story into your classroom. Regardless of this. So this is the Craft the Draft podcast. Go to thecraftdraftworkshop.com to find all of the other episodes. Hit subscribe if you would like to have this these these wonderful words and cats jumping around and cats. And all kinds of digital problems that happen on this show. Uh, right to you. You know, we we like to we want to keep this podcast as real as possible. So you get to know all the fun things that happen. But really, we just love reading writing workshop. We're so thankful for everyone who listens to this, shares this episode, who has reviewed it, who likes us over there on Facebook. Uh, thank you guys all that we, I love talking craft the draft, love talking reading, writing workshop. So if you enjoy this, stick around, we release an episode every single Friday, unless there's technical difficulties, but we've kept that up so far. So stick around, go, go, uh, go back to all of our other episodes. If you, if you are a new listener, if you're an old listener, thank you for coming back. Hopefully you're having fun. Send us a question. Sometimes we like to address your questions in whole episodes, so you never know what's going to happen. I'm Jacob Chastain. That's Pam Ochoa. And know that we are here for you.